Welcome to the Sample Hour feed channel. So, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I don't really know what I'm calling a lot of these new podcasts because I just don't really want to call them anything, so I just put their guest name. So, today, we we're fortunate enough to have another example of that. Today, I was joined by Mr. Chase Lisbon of supercult.com. Um, for anyone that's not familiar with Chase's work, it's pretty cool. I mean, Chase, uh, he's a super cool guy. I had a lot of fun talking to him. Um, but you can follow Chase on Twitter if you go to Twitter and just go to at Chase Lisbon. Um, and you can also follow the account for his movie, which is at WMRWO. Again, his movie is called, well, I haven't said it, so I don't know why I said it again. But his movie is called We Must Remain the Wild-Hearted Outsiders. So that's going to be coming out here soon. Um, expect to hear Chase on the podcast again. Awesome guy. I had a lot of fun talking to him. But uh, you can follow his um, – you can follow the movie account, and that is at um, w, uh, WMRTWO. So We Must Remain the Wild-Hearted Outsiders. So I think I said that wrong the first time. So in this podcast, there was something up with the audio, so my audio cuts out here and there, which was kind of weird. Um, also, uh, I had to cut out because there's a couple times when Chase's audio totally cut out as well, or it went robot voice for the two of us. So you will notice there is some like some ins and outs of uh, of the audio. So I just want to apologize for that. I'm still an amateur, guys. You know, nobody's paying me to do this, but uh, I'm still having a lot of fun. So. Hopefully, um, the quality will be better here. I'm trying to figure out better ways to record on Skype. Um, probably going to talk to Dirty DeVoe about it. Check out his podcast. Um, but anyways, guys, enjoy this podcast, and thank you so much for listening and subscribing.
if I'm really involved in work, I have an excuse. And then um, I guess so I always have an excuse because I'm always involved in doing something. Yeah. Red Bulling it up, I see. <laughs> getting, you're getting amped. You're getting ready. Well, amped is the incorrect term because it's owned by Pepsi. But, yes. Um, well, yeah, man. Um, I just figure... We can just get into it. You can just kind of tell your story, man. I mean, I don't think a lot of people. I mean, it looks like a lot of people know who you are based on your Twitter. But um, yeah, man, I think uh, I'd love to hear how you came up with Super Cult. I can only see what it says on Wikipedia, and it's basically everything that led you to where you are. I started watching your movie. Um, I think I'm like 30 minutes into it, and then I had to start doing other stuff. It's like a. It's the only way I could really describe it. Is it's like. Like a psychedelic, I wouldn't even call it pornography though. Like it's just a psychedelic movie with girls kissing each other. So far, like that's as far as I get. Like the music's pretty cool. Kind of like it pulls you in, like emotionally, in this weird emotional way. It's, it's been yeah. Cool so far, it's just so different. Um, I, I guess like you have to watch uh, the the whole thing because it starts to change. But um, I definitely uh. And I appreciate you sending that to me, too. Sorry, I haven't watched it fully yet. Oh, that's okay. So. I just figured, um, I, I know that it's impossible to describe it, so yeah. I I have to, um, I would have to send it to you so you can have some clue of what I'm talking about, because I've heard a lot of people maybe talk about projects that were indescribable, and they're not. Yeah. They're really just maybe a mash of two things, but this is... Um, a movie that I haven't been able to put into words at all, and I made it. And then nobody who's written me about it has really been able to. Most of the letters I get in with, um, I don't know how to talk about this or what to say. I don't have the, I don't have the words for this. Yeah. But um, I mean, there's no dialogue in the movie, so it works as a more as a symbol than anything else. And probably what you were starting to touch on is that um, you can you're picking up um, maybe emotions that you don't understand why because they don't necessarily correlate with what you're seeing yet. Yeah. So um, it has like a weight to it that's, that's um, or a presence in it that you don't really understand what um, why your brain's reacting the way it is to it. For sure. Well, <laughs> but I definitely don't not, like um, want anyone to have the idea that anything about this movie is pornographic at all. Um, no, but it's it is, not at all. Not it's hard. All. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to explain it. It is in, like, the genre of... Um, it, it's a, it would be an art film, I guess. It's the only blanket um, or umbrella, like, genre that I think it would... that could I can describe it, but... Even, but, like, even, like... Well, let's start out first, Chase. Yeah. So, I'm Drew Sample, or at Drew Sample on Twitter. Hi. And you can, uh, I'm speaking with at Chase Lisbon on Twitter. So, uh, thank you, EDBs, for making this connection for the two of us. But uh, basically, I asked Chase to be on today just because, like, I think what Chase does is, is interesting. Like, you, you, uh, like, so basically what I, I'd like you to do is just kind of tell my audience or people, like, just how you got started. Like, so what made you, so Chase actually um, started supercult.com which I'm sure people have heard of. 
Um, I don't think it's like I, I don't like the description in Wikipedia because it says it's al- al- alternative pornography, but it's not. It's just art. Just naked. There's naked women, but I wouldn't call it pornography at all. How would you describe it, Chase? Um. Well, when it started, it was a lot different because um, I don't think that I really had developed any of my uh, skills as an artist at all. Um, I just kind of had a blanket like um, area that I. Uh, like, are we on? We're not on a live show. No, or... There's no live. Show. I can edit <laughs> okay. Out for some reason, when you just started talking, I, I, I just had just to like. So me I, out. I started recording, and I didn't mean to freak you out, but I started recording because, like, I've made the mistake of to start like talking to someone, yeah, and then like they just start like just going off at stuff. I'm like, oh shit, I really need to record this. So then I just like I needed to find a way to tell you I was recording. Oh, okay. That was the way I chose to do it, Chase. So I just wanted to make you really uncomfortable right off the bat so you could maybe not trust me at all. No, I don't know if you noticed like a total change in my tone all of a sudden because yeah, I was like – Yeah, yeah. Like I want, you to be, I want you to be comfortable. So I, like I can – like definitely before I release this, I'm going to let you listen to it. Oh, um, that's fine. I can't – actually, I cannot listen to myself speak and I can't read anything I've ever written or um, – I can read something I've written for years have gone by, but I can't – I can't immediately do that, and I can't look at pictures from the immediate present, you know, once they become the past. Um, yeah. I, I have to let a certain amount of time go by. Is it but, uh, like, are you too super, super critical of yourself? Like, I know... I'm incredibly critical of yeah. myself, absolutely. Like, like, my friend Dave, he's, like, kind of taken off as a tattoo artist. I, don't, I know the guy. I wouldn't even call my friend. I hung out with him one night, and we were supposed to start podcasting together, and it just never happened, but... Like something that interests me about Dave was he's like, every tattoo I ever do, I immediately think is dog shit. Because I think of 10 different ways I could have done it better. Yeah. And it's- uh, I, I have that issue with any anything. Every once in a while, so I've been, like, working as an artist, I guess, for maybe 13 years. And um, even though, like I said, maybe the first three years, I wouldn't be able to um, really classify as art. But... We can get to that. Um, but everything that I put out, maybe one, one out of ten things I might be able to feel comfortable with without any sort of um, validation externally. But everything else, um, it just gets ripped apart by my by my head. And by the time I'm done working on it, um, I just usually, I don't see anything except for mistakes. And then there becomes a point where you just have to release whatever it is, publish it, put it out, and then I won't look at it for a while. And then when I do, usually, you know, if you give it give it a year or something and go back and look, it's so weird because there's been, like, photographs I put out that I really loved immediately and they didn't have a good response. And then I would go back a year later and look at them and understand why people didn't like them. Or photographs that people really loved and um, I didn't like at all which I would usually just kind of somehow decide everybody else is wrong <laughs> for liking it, which makes no sense. Like get, get angry at people for liking something that I did that I don't think was good enough. Like, but um, It kind of reminds me of Radiohead's song Creep. Like that band, they hate that song. Like with- I, can, I can see why. I mean, I think um, Radiohead's a really good example of a, of a band that 
or of, uh, as artists that um, kind of were part of like um, an overall genre. Like they they fit in to a group genre for a little while, and then they found a voice that was their own, and then they became one of those rare bands that whether you like them or not, it doesn't matter. You can't argue that their voice is theirs and no other band sounds like them. If they do, they sound like a band trying to sound like Radiohead, if that makes sense, which I think is uh, what you would aspire to do in art with any form of art at all is to find your own voice in a way that anything you do, whether people like it or not, they know that you did it. Yeah, I I think that's important. I think it's important as... uh... I think even more is just like a, a sense of human expression. You want to know that the way you're expressing yourself is actually it's kind of a weird thing because in reality, I don't think it really matters, but it, it matters to you, like in a sense. Like you want to, like it's it's kind of like a pride of like knowing that, you know, you're unique. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I think as an artist especially, that's important because you don't, like it's, I mean, like, it's it's cool that you're making this movie and that you've made this movie, and I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, man, I really have no idea what's going on, but I'm kind of like, drawn to it, and it keeps sucking me in as it's going on. And I think that's, um, I mean, that's special. I mean, it, it's definitely, or like, there's not any websites really similar to Super Cult. I mean, well, I, um, when I started Super Cult, there wasn't anything like it, um... And I guess that's where that came from. It's like one of those situations where things overlap in your life where whatever skill sets you've developed by that point, whatever skill sets you think you can develop, you know, once you have a knowledge of some things, you have an understanding that you'd be able to learn other things. Like if, if you figured out that you can learn how to do broadcasting, you could probably look at a video editing program and take everything you know and say, I could probably figure out Final Cut and figure out how to do this. So with Super Cold, um, I probably spent about a year or two with the idea going through my head. I was doing a lot of, um, I was running like a screen printing business in Boston at the time. So we were pressing like a lot of shirts all day, every day. And um, my best friend at the time and I would just sit there for like 10 hours a day and talk. And I would talk about, I guess we talked about uh, porn a lot and and we talked about how I would really like at the time I was thinking of the two, I guess, ideas that kind of came together were that it was always fascinating with, to me at the time when um, this was like 1998 and 99 that this was going on. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, like anytime I saw a girl like in a porno movie that um, had like a little black flag tattoo or like a little hand poke, like suicidal tendency tattoo or something like that, but she would be blonde and have fake tits or whatever, but you could tell she had some weird background in, in the um, underground. And that was always fascinating to me. And then I was, but I was really um, turned off by the, by the way that, that the industry was uh, marketing, you know, like the way that it was uh, talking about the women involved. And I didn't understand the concept of that. And um, I didn't, it didn't seem necessary. It didn't seem like something that was necessary and to be selling these movies, you know? Yeah, like, do you, do you mean, like, just, like, as in, like, objects, that sort of thing? Yeah. Or, yeah. And and I can tell you now after 
after being in this industry for so long, just being an erotica, um, there's no way to be in this industry without objectification uh, happening, I don't think. Um, I think people can get a lot of empowerment out of being in it in a lot of ways, but the nature of it, I mean, by definition, even if um, a person is just camming or something, you know, they are having, they're selling a persona, they're selling a piece of, of themselves, and uh, it becomes objectified, um, which is a lot of what the movie's about. I guess the, the movie's really a lot about that, that darkness of uh, entering into the industry with the idea of um, of empowerment. And then at some point, there becomes um, a line of where you're being objectified uh, and you're going to encounter people that are very dark and are very, very evil. And um, so when I thought about like, yeah, I just didn't, just like, you know, it wasn't very like, you know, I wasn't like deeply thinking about it. It was just something very obvious to me that like these movies I watched because I was watching porn, you know, as any or most males do, and everybody a lot does. of females. Let's, yeah. let's, not, let's not fool it. Females can pretend like they don't, but everybody does, man. It's so much. Yeah. Um, so I was watching it, but I did. I didn't like. You know, I didn't understand why they would have to have every box would have to have like you know, girls called cum dumpsters and and stuff like that. So. I was thinking, like, I could probably put together something where it was fun, you know, where, like, all of the girls were people I was friends with, and um, everyone was equal on an equal field, and I didn't have to use words <clears throat> that I didn't like. I didn't have to use derogatory words, or, you know, I didn't have to start out with any process of, like, objectifying at all. I do think, though, maybe a lot of people will argue with me that... um that it's possible to survive this industry without any objectification, but I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't, I just think the nature of it, I mean, the way it is, is. A, well, like you're marketing to people's most like animalistic side. I mean, like that's part of like our, something that's ingrained in us is to reproduce and that's the way we deal with it is masturbation. So, I mean, it's, I think it's, uh, I agree. Yeah, and honestly, like, it, it's weird. See, this is why it's also strange, because, like, for me, like, the beginning was super cool, and then ending with this movie, um, that lineage, you know, that journey was going from everything was fun, everything was innocent, everything was nice, and then after, like, six or seven years go by, it's like, you know, seeing people go from 20 to 27 and then suddenly they're getting married, they're getting different jobs. You know, it's like, I don't want to be naked on the internet anymore. It was fun when I was 20, but now it's still there. And I don't think people maybe understand the severity of what you do on the internet is going into a permanent record forever. It's um as extreme as being tattooed, I think, you know, and something that is going to be around forever. And, um, Watching that happen as that unfolded, that started to become a little draining on me. And then as we started to make the movie, it just, things got really dark, I think, in general. And um, it 
so maybe about halfway through making the movie, I kind of got to a place where I was like, I don't even know how I really feel about this industry anymore, which is a strange place to be, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like being a priest who, like, uh, so reading the Bible one day and says, I don't I don't think we're teaching the things that, um, that we're supposed to teach out of this book. We're just teaching something totally different. Like, maybe I don't belong in the Catholic Church or something. I so think, I think it's I think that's interesting for the fact that like like your website was mainly photography, right? Like you didn't really have films or anything like that. I was doing video since the beginning because um my background the only experience I have with anything that would give me any I mean by all means I had no reason I had no qualifications to be able to get into this business at all. Yeah. I just decided I was going to do it and did it. And um well, that's pretty cool though. That's what I like. I've just done with everything, I guess. Uh, I think I was fortunate that my mother, when I was a child, told me I could do whatever I put my mind to, which I would advise that all um, parents would tell their children because it's really helped me be able to accomplish things in life that I don't think others even are aware they can accomplish because they already have a sense that they can't leave where they are. They can't go outside of their boundaries. So... At the same time, maybe you're hearing this in your mother and you're like, well, that's the last thing I'm going to tell my kid because he's going to end up like just pitchless. But, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But, Chase, uh, I think, uh, I think you're, you're, you're doing things on your own. You don't, I think, uh, I mean, something that you said that kind of stood out to me was, you know, you don't realize, you know, you're objectifying yourself. But I think whenever you go, you work even a corporate job or any job there's a, there's a level of objectification that's going on within yourself you're selling a part of yourself yeah. for le- way less than what it's worth so i think um i think like what you i mean that 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 that's transferable i mean like believe me i was in retail sales for years and i mean i definitely became depressed because you know i was one of those guys in the kiosk in a mall that would stop you and ask you what kind of cell phone you had so I think. So wait a minute, that you did that as a job? Oh yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm interested in this because that puts you in a weird position where you're you're basically like being, you know, psychically intrusive to people. You know, they're walking by and you can sense that they don't want you to contact them, right? Like you can sense they're like, "Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me." Exactly, and those are the most fun people for me to talk to because I was also trying not to be bored at work. You so, just didn't like, care. Then it, then it became, yeah, then it became a game. Like, can I get that person to talk to me? And then I'm like, well, you know, I'm not a piece of shit. So, yeah, I probably could. But in reality, I mean, like, it was still fucking grimy. You know what I mean? It was still, yeah. I mean, for what you said, evil. I mean, it's still, it's not a nice thing to do. You, you basically, like, train yourself to become a sociopath in the sense that I, yeah. I, I only can communicate with people if there's a, there's a transfer of money. And I mean, like, I mean, that really, I mean, I think, so I think in a sense, I mean, there's, there's lots of unhappy people out there. And I think a lot of it has to do with people just doing a job that they fucking hate. So. Well, I would want to say, like, I don't want, I don't want to give the impression that, um, I'm like one of these people that is, has gone into an industry and has come out and is, and is either white or black about it. Like with this movie, um, I guess one of the things that was important to me is that I don't think people realize that with, with anything that's controversial, which like um, the the adult industry 
erotic arc in general, um, like marijuana laws, um, abortion issues, things like this. That they have a lot of side. They, they either have people that like wave a flag on the left or on the right. Like they have people that are saying this is either like absolutely the best thing or this is absolutely the devil, right? Yeah. But there's not that many people that are in the middle that are saying like, look, I smoke weed and I support it being legalized. But I also would tell you it's not for everybody. Not every person is going to be able to sit around stone all day and function. And some people, it will cause depression for it. Some people, it will help depression. But you, you can find that out on your own. But when you get into it, you have to understand that not everything is black or white. Like, so... Um, that's kind of how I feel about this. Like, I, yeah. it's an industry that I, I've seen a lot of people get into. I see a, a lot of people cross lines that they told themselves they wouldn't cross when they got into it. I've crossed lines that I thought I would never cross, and then come, I've come back from them. I think maybe, though, all people in life are doing this if they're seekers, if they're looking for anything, if you're not just happy with complacency. You're out there probably searching. You probably have ended up at the end of a road somewhere where you say, this is not a good frequency for me. This is not what, um, this doesn't resonate with my core frequency. I don't think I'm going to do these drugs anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's not romantic. It's not what it looks like in the movies or whatever. I've got myself into a bad spot. Now that I know what that spot's like, I can get out of that and I can work on uh, not going down that road again or whatever. How much do you think, like, uh, drug use and pornography have to do with Arthur's It sounds like a silly question, <clears throat> but I don't... I, it's only maybe sounds silly because it seems like it's a cliche question. Yeah. But in reality, like, for, for my movie, <laughs> I mean, on, to be honest, like, with, with, with making um, WMR2, we... I didn't put any drugs in it, and I think there's maybe, maybe like one or two shots of like in, of alcohol in the whole thing, and maybe one shot of smoking a cigarette. I um, one for one, I realized that as a kid, like I, I really grew up watching a lot of cult movies. I really loved loved a lot of um, really dark movies, and what I really your favorite. Sorry, I didn't. Oh, uh, like Drugstore Cowboys is one of my like all time favorite movies, and. Um, I used to come home from school. I'd put on uh, a VHS tape of Clockwork Orange, and I would play that on repeat. Um, I obviously, like, I don't think anybody, like, would ever be able to pay any amount of attention to any of my work and not realize that I love David Lynch. I, I was really into um, Twin Peaks when I was in high school, and I graduated high school in 93. So, um I liked uh, Sid and Nancy when I was a kid a lot, and and um, I remember when I was really young watching the Blues Brothers and thinking these guys are the most badass guys. Like they, this guy lives in this little brick room, like doesn't just lives off toast and doesn't care about it, like any material things in life, just cares about music. And then I remember at some point in my thirties waking up and saying like I might have romanticized that one too much because <laughs> <laughs> sitting in a room doing your work just living on toast yeah exactly I mean, it's like a hundred percent i think i had a wake-up call where i was like i am how much living. different is that from now man like it's not different at all except that i have technology they didn't have and um but it's almost i mean it's, i live a life almost exactly like that so and uh 
uh, yeah, so I didn't, I, I thought, okay, maybe I've romanticized these things too much. And then, you know, I spent a good 10 years drunk and um, I realized, like, some of these things that were romanticized in movies, like, when you really put it, apply it to life, there's nothing cool about it at all, you know? Like, well, I mean, it's fun sometimes, and, like, I don't drink anymore, and I had a lot of good times with it, but yeah. spend six days in bed drunk as a vacation is not really, like, something it's to be proud to, of. Uh, it's hard to rack up a lot of W's in life if you spend it in front of a bottle. Yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, drinking. I have and, two. I have two, brother. I, uh, see, I got a, I mean, I didn't get really get a wake-up call until I got a DUI and didn't get a, a better, I mean, I... It's actually probably good in the long run, but I, I mean, like, out of public urination, like, my only criminal record is based on my drinking habits. So, I my criminal record is is based on really strange things that didn't correlate with what I was actually doing in my. So, although I was probably committing multiple crimes at the time, I would get arrested for crimes I wasn't committing, and uh, or <laughs> that I didn't know for crimes. Oh yeah, romanticizing. Um, uh, you you were asking about the industry and yeah well um so i think another reason i didn't put i didn't put um any sort of of um drug or alcohol abuse or you know use really in the movie was because um that's something that it's one of the go-to things that people think that are the reason somebody would get involved in this industry so I didn't want to perpetuate that, but the irony, of course, would be that probably, like, through a large portion of it, like, a lot of people involved were probably involved in those things, but, um... <laughs> what have you, like, what have you found is, like, the, the most popular reason as to why people do get involved for, um, in the industry for both men and women? Well... Um, it 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 would be incredibly wrong, I think, for me to speak. To generalize it. Yeah, to generalize for other people, I could I I can tell you that I have a lot of um, understanding of it now, and that I have understanding of my own reasons probably for getting into it, and for all of the people I know in in the industry of what we all have have in common, and um, and I think it's kind of weird because a lot of the reasons that maybe people would assume are things you could never ask uh, anybody in the industry about because they would get so angry about you assuming that. But then maybe down the road you'll find out that that is possibly why they got into it and that would explain why they are maybe so reactionary about it. Like, um, you know, I'm, I was born in Arkansas and uh, I wasn't raised there. And my family left when I was two. But growing up, every joke about Arkansas was particularly offensive to me because a lot of them were relatable to things that actually were uh, familiar, you know, familiar to my family. So they struck a chord. And um, so I don't think that um, anybody could should speak for an entire group of people. You know, no, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it would be very mindful of me, but I, yeah. I do, I do think, I think a, gen, a general thing I can say is that I think that um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think that 
a lot of the world's problems in general, in all industry, in all aspects, and as odd as this may sound, is I think so many people have never been able to gain the affirmation or respect or attention of one of their parents at least, that it has driven them to externally search for this in ways that lead all the way up to world conquest, you know? Where, you know, maybe as I got older, the more I looked around and, and looked at the people that come from stable families with mothers and fathers that were supportive, grow up and tend to seem a lot more stable to me than all of the people I know from broken homes that have broken patterns through their whole life that continue because we were taught broken patterns growing up because we were learning things from people that were trying to figure shit out themselves. Yeah. Bad. What's um, like, bad role modeling? Yeah, yeah, like because we model a lot from our parents, like more than what we realize. Definitely. It makes a lot of sense. I, I think, like, personally, like, my parents are split up. Both sides of my grandparents are split up. I think I only have one aunt and uncle that hasn't been divorced. Um, and, and yeah, like, I don't remember going up in school, and I'd get pissed off when we'd read stuff about, like, this is what happens with divorced families, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's fucking bullshit. And then, like, when I really came to grips with things when I got older and probably started smoking weed and, like, really started, like, introspectively looking at myself and looking at my problems and why why I was behaving the way I was behaving, it became really obvious to me. It, was, it had a lot to do with um, me not having a good relationship with my father and then, like, me really focusing on building that relationship. And now he's one of my best friends. Um, I think was really healing and helpful for me to be more functional in life or just attain or go after things that I'm interested in personally. And I know I still got fucking issues. I think we all do. Like, I don't think, I mean, it's going to be hard to find people from our generation that didn't, weren't, didn't come from families where people got married and have kids way too soon, which I think is, yeah, was most people. That's what, was that probably one of your first steps of, um, like for you to bridge that gap with your father, maybe one of the first steps is, um, First, you become aware that there's an issue at all, right? And then at some point, something clicks in your head as you age. There's that one moment where you're like, holy shit, I'm older than my dad was when he had me. Or I'm older than my mom was when she had me. I might be, you know, like five years older than my mom was when I, you know, at the time I had that um, thought. And I was like, my mom had me when she was a kid. Like, how, how were they supposed to give me wisdom they didn't have, you know, that I think about myself at 21 and I don't even want to know the things that I was saying to people, let alone what I would have been saying to a kid. Yeah. No, it's the same thing. Like, like it's interesting. Uh, like, cause I mean, I'm, I'm like in between, I'm about to start a new job now, but recently my last position, I just was trying to make some, some money at, uh, like just pay my bills. So I was working at, uh, Best Buy, and of course, like everyone I worked with was like, I'm 28, so everyone was at least, you know, five to ten years younger than me. And it was just interesting because, like, the other managers that were close to my age would get frustrated with people. I'm like, look, man, where were you at when you were their age? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. anywhere near ready to be responsible. I mean, I, I just started smoking weed and 
having sex and realized that I'd been living a lie as a dedicated Catholic when I turned 21. So I, I think that I think it's I think there's a responsibility in a sense when you get older to share your wisdom with people that are willing to listen to it or share your experiences with people. Well, that, okay, that's that that's part of like an epiphany I had out there. Well, see, you have to understand that, um, and of course, I speak in so many tangents that it's, which just kind of makes the movie make more sense too. If you don't understand that that's how my brain works, it's all in tangents. So, the the movie has a very once you watch the entire thing, if you um, you know are, are an intellectual person, you're going to be able to easily put together this lineage and the storyline. If you are just somebody who's uh, inclined to, or it's just smart enough to realize it's a puzzle, you might say, like, I don't even want to solve this puzzle, but I realize it's solvable. And I think some people who see it don't even have uh, an understanding that it's even a solvable puzzle. Like, that uh, it's basically like a scrambled Rubik's Cube, you know? Damn it, Chase. Now it's like a test. Now I'm going to think I'm stupid when I don't No, I, I promise that you can put it together. <laughs> and also, I can also tell you that since it is, since it does work as a symbol, what the way whatever it comes together as for you um, doesn't have to be what we what was it to be. yeah because I've had some people watch it and when they tell me how they take it it makes a lot of sense to me yeah. and I've had people point out a lot of things in the movie that I didn't realize I had that I had done because I really think a huge amount of it was being um, orchestrated by my subconscious at a level that I wouldn't be consciously capable of doing. And then when I go back and see it, I can see that it was very intentional and you can see there's intent there, but I wasn't consciously aware of it at the time even. But um, going, I, the last year that I was in Arkansas, I was alone. So I lived in the, the house that was the main set of the movie. Every room was like a set and um, I was living there in isolation. And <clears throat> that's where I kind of underwent this, with everything that had gone on in my life, I hit this point where I had come to that conclusion that you might come to at some point in your life or you might have come to where you realize your life is secular. You're going through patterns. You're repeating mistakes that you have go-tos. Like when everything falls apart, you might go back to drinking. And then when you go back to drinking, it just makes everything worse. And But you can at least... there If you spend a lot of time with depression too, you realize it's also kind of an addictive energy because when you're in a depressive state, you might have things consciously that you know you can do to get out of it. You might say like, well, if I quit drinking and I started exercising and I started drinking water and started reading again, I can, I know I can pull out of this, but you don't want to get out of it because for some reason, maybe it's so comfortable or so familiar to you. Well, I think, I think I heard somebody say it too. It's like my friend, uh, Corey, I host his podcast. He, like he he struggles with depression a lot, and he's very vocal about it. And he shared it on his podcast. And I I personally never really. I think the only depression I really struggled with was when my my parents split up and we moved. But that's natural. Yeah, that's different I, than what Corey has. What I go through, which is more of a depression that's not reflected, but yeah. not reflecting your what's going on. It's always there. It's something that like it's like you're you're not far away from going back down that road. Yeah, and something that he said is it's like it's 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 like a it's a selfish energy. There's there's certain comfort in feeling sorry for yourself and manipulating the people around you into trying to feel sorry for you as well. 
And he said, like, that's how he said it. It, it feels for him. And uh, I'm not sure if you can relate to that, but I, I can relate to the to that as as a trap. That's one of like the traps of depression. Like if you, everybody has handicaps, has traps. We all have like um, something about us that we can use as an excuse to not be able to um, advance further. Like for instance, uh, you know, Beethoven. Like Beethoven's Eighth Symphony is not really that good of a symphony, in my opinion. And uh, he probably was like going through a hard time with being deaf and a bunch of people talking shit about him. And he could have easily just got up and said, "I'm deaf, assholes." So you know, keep laughing at me. But um, like you write a symphony, deaf. But he didn't give up. He didn't fall into that trap, and he writes Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which is one of the greatest pieces of music ever made. And um, that's always my inspiration for any time that I feel like I have a hang-up or a trap or an excuse that I could get out of anything. Yeah. So with depression, um, it could, it if you have to kind of consider depression when it enters you as being almost like a parasite. And it starts, the way drug use becomes a parasite and can take over a person's, um, their ego to the point where they're doing things outside of their boundaries. And um with that, it's easy to fall into a trap where where you, you do want to suck other people's um, energy. You do want to bring people down to that, that level. So for me, when I am in depressive states, which um, I've gotten a lot of a hold up over in the last year, uh, but that was, you know, like a two-year working on myself, like psychological process to even get to a, a place of peace to begin with. Um, but... When I get in, if I feel myself tipping into that area, I just make sure everybody that knows me understands that it's kind of like the werewolf zone. Like I need to go and put myself away and the person, the people in my life need to know that ahead of time before it ever hits, that if it does hit, it's not going to be about them. And that if they do come near me, I might be nasty and I might say things and I might just be a miserable person, but they have to understand I'll just tell them like I'm not doing well and I need to be alone because I know that I have to process this and get through it on my own. I can't bring other people into this. So I have the, um, either I tailored my life towards these cycles or these cycles or my life just happens to work well with it because I don't need to go and be around other people when, um, I can just stay locked away in a room and, and deal with it. But it is uh, something that's hard to get out of when you're in it because it is comforting. It's bizarrely familiar, especially if you have any deep-rooted self-loathing, which I think almost all artists do, and probably all humans, but at least all humans with fucked up upbringings probably have this sense of like not winning throughout life. And then you finally get to a weird place like where winning isn't comfortable. Like, and it also works the same way if you deal with a lot of depression where happiness, even though it feels awesome, it's, it's scary because you know that at any minute that you could tip back and you just fall into that hole again. So, um, yeah, well, that's that's a lot. The reason why so many people are complacent in their place in life right now, you know, that's why there's so many people living in a, in a city they don't want to live in or a state they don't want to live in or a job they don't want to be in or in a relationship they don't want to be in. Because they would rather just 
be complacent than take um, a risk, but it might just be also that they don't know that they can go out and it can work. You can leave anywhere. And I was fortunate to move around my entire life, so the idea of being rooted somewhere is not in my psyche. But I know a lot of people, when I was living out in the Midwest, if I met anybody that was cool, and I was like, I would tell them, like, you need to get out of Arkansas. Yeah, like, you can do it. And they'd say, like, I don't know, like, how would I get out of here? And so you can save up some money from your job, go on Craigslist and pick any city in America and find a room to move into and just move there. You're 18, you're 20, whatever. You'll find friends. You'll find a whole scene of kids that you fit in with. You'll find your place. You'll find a whole new life. And you'll, you need to get out of here because if you don't, you'll just stay forever. I mean, almost everybody there does. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a weird thing. Like, I'm from Ohio, and, like, a part of me thinks, like, eventually I do need to get out of here. But I think, like, right now, like, if, like I do actually have a lot of good things going on. Until yeah. good things stop. Like, I was in Toledo, and the good things stopped going on. Like, I was drinking more. I was just, like, I, I just wasn't healthy anymore, and I kind of saw it. Like, I actually got in, like, a bad car accident, and I was lucky to live. And, like, I was up there for my family. But it was like it was time to like get away from my family and start doing like things for me, and then they kind of like moved me down here. But like I was just thinking about that because you were just saying like people from the Midwest, like like luckily Columbus is a pretty cool city, but um, I mean eventually I think it's gonna be time to. Are you near Akron? No, I'm not near Akron. Uh, Akron's uh, near Cleveland. It's like in between Cleveland and Youngstown. Um, Columbus is like one of the only it's 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 the only city like itself in in uh in Ohio. Like it's not based on like steel or union workers anymore. Um it did actually oddly enough, I was watching this documentary about uh Columbus and apparently the Bushes actually made most of their money from Columbus. So they used to own Buckeye Steel, which I had no idea Bushes even had history to Columbus, Ohio, and then I started thinking about like the Nazi times. Yeah. Columbus, as, as soon as you said as soon as you said Bushes, I was like, I thought because it was Prescott Bush's dad. I literally had this voice in my head saying, "Don't say anything." Like, I'm so paranoid. Like, don't say anything. Prescott, for people that don't know, Prescott Bush was the banker for the Nazis. So, and that's <laughs> two of our presidents were his lineage. So that should that should tell you something. Or it should make you start to ask fucking questions, which is all. It, it might make you want to ask questions about. Uh, certain branches of the U.S. government that, that seem to have very, very um, similar tactics as the SS that are branches that are still around and very active right now. I don't want to talk about that at all. I swear, <laughs> I, I, this country scares the hell out of me. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah. I think, <laughs> I'm even scared to even go on YouTube without signing out. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't. I mean, just off topic. Like, just in case somebody listening wants to think about this and really understand what's going on right now, when you sign on to your email, which like somehow, you know, like I have a friend who has a Hotmail account, right? Yeah. And when he gave me his email account, I just was laughing because he's like older, and um, it just seems so funny to me because I hadn't even heard that Hotmail in so long. I was like, you still have a Hotmail account? And I was like laughing. And then I was started thinking about it. I was like, why am I laughing at your email? Like, 
how did like it somehow be cooler that I have Gmail? Like, yeah. what is cool about that? And nothing. Like anything I type in. Somebody said I have AOL. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Here in 1995. Yeah, what's the difference, right? Like they're just getting mail from me, right? That, so yeah. somehow they branded emails to be cooler or not cooler, right? So, yeah. and the one that they branded as being cool, which is Gmail. This one. You know, they if you sign on, you know, after a while, it'll show you this little um, burglar cartoon. And he's like, you know, breaking into the computer. And it's like, hey, give us your phone number so we can send you a message if anyone hacks into your computer because hackers are bad. And then so I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't want people hacking into my computer. Give you my phone number. They send you like that little verification code. That was a couple of years ago. Then I started thinking about it. And it's like, okay, well, my phone number goes to my social security number, right? Yeah. My social security number goes to my phone number. My phone number goes to my Gmail. My Gmail goes to everything I do on the internet. Like so, everything I do on the internet is being has been confirmed as being actions that I'm doing by me confirming my phone number. Um, that's terrifying. Like I don't want people to know everything I'm doing. I don't want to have a permanent record of everything I've watched because you've seen how this is, gets used against people. You know. Someone might watch one weird video they clicked on that's just strange. They might have watched 99 Disney videos before that, but, like, the news would get a hold of it and be like, of course this guy was a time bomb waiting to go off. He watched a video about a moon hoax landing. It's all about the propaganda. It's about the controlled information. I mean, you know, Chase, unfortunately, uh, we're probably being monitored by the NSA due to my ex- Being on Skype. Well, and my ex-girlfriend, her best friend works for the NSA, so... Sure, when she was getting hired, they always go five layers deep. So sorry, Chase, that uh, well, I've been like to, uh, break that to you on a podcast. I think I was talking to someone on Skype once, and then um, I suddenly like it hit me. I was like, okay, this site is using up so much bandwidth, like a massive amount of bandwidth, yeah, it's and all owned by Amazon. It's so powerful that it that it's able to um circumvent all of the phone lines right so now instead of people needing to being able to talk on the phone they can get on a video chat across the world for free indefinitely you know for 12 hours at a time and there's no ads anywhere nothing's popping up anywhere so somebody's paying for all of this and i think somebody tried to tell me that they somehow make money from like paid calls but i don't know anybody who's paid anything to skype ever well i pay um I pay like twenty six dollars every four months, like when I host big calls for my podcast. Like I, I, I have like a phone number and stuff. I don't even know what my fucking phone number is, but like I can call. Like I could have called your cell phone and recorded a conversation. But do you think that that can those whatever payment options they have can offset the amount of of money that this I don't is know. costing? I don't know about that. I mean, Skype's pretty big though, so I imagine let's say they get. You know, they probably have over a hundred million accounts, like a hundred million accounts. So let's say even ten percent of them pay, you know, ten bucks a month or twenty dollars every so often. I mean, that's a lot of money. But I mean, the technical aspect of supporting something like this has to be expensive. I mean, but you look at Google. I mean, Google with I mean, Google's made a lot of shit free. They're rolling out fiber, and it's dirt cheap. It's like thirty-five dollars a month to get like a a 60 meg internet connection out in Kansas. So I don't know, man. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder like how expensive things really are to make or 
I just don't know, but I think what you bring up is actually a very valid possibility. Well, once I got paranoid about that, I just kind of decided, like, well, if anything, it's just people that are going through monitoring. They're just clicking through, like, chat roulette, and, you know, they don't care if they are just coming across people naked or people talking about stupid shit. They're just looking for stuff like what we're talking about right now. Or, I mean, we're not really terrorists. So I don't think we have anything to worry about. But no, uh, we're definitely I guess a threat, though, because I think I think I think a bigger threat is is education. I mean, education well, I, I, honestly, better. like, um, and you you said you came up in a Catholic church, and and uh, I don't want to be offensive, but dude, you can say you, whatever you, you want can. To say about the Catholic church, that place is evil. It is yeah. obvious. I mean, anybody who can study any amount of history will realize that. Illumination, wisdom, knowledge, these are enemies to the Catholic Church. These are things they did not want people to have. They didn't even want people to be able to read the Bible themselves. They just wanted people to be able to give them money and buy their way into heaven or purgatory. Or Yeah, the whole idea of purgatory is crazy. Like, what is purgatory? Oh, it's just where you go. It's, it's a great business model. <laughs> I mean, if anything was purgatory, it would be where we're at right now. Well, I spiritually, like, I would probably tell you that uh, that's pretty close. Um, and psychologically, that's what I went through in Arkansas. I realized I had gone in through a death of a cycle of my life, and I had ended up in a sort of limbo where I was deconstructing completely, like, psychologically getting down to my core and then having to rebuild from that. But I can say there's, like, a six-month period in the making of this movie that I wasn't... Um, I didn't think I was going to ever come back together because I was haunted by the Humpty Dumpty story and the idea of what the message was of it. I was thinking, because I was so fractured completely psychologically and being in isolation is also not this great thing that people dream of. I have, everyone I've ever told that I spent a year in the Ozarks like alone, they all say, oh, that's you're so lucky, I want to do that. And I say, well, I mean, are you... Are you able to even spend 10 minutes alone in your room, well, you know, without like, a distraction? People don't, like, I mean, people don't understand, like, like, look, there's a lot of wisdom that you get out of that if you come back. I, that's, I agree. I'm, I, I almost didn't make it out of there, honestly, alive. I mean, and, it's, um, it's like uh, eating, like, a serious dose of LSD. Or it's... Like, getting through that. I mean, it's, in a way, except it's, like, you're not, I mean, it's not an eight-hour trip you're by yourself yeah if whatever you have whatever you have going on in your head um i think we're conditioned or you know like uh maybe it's just the natural path psychologically for people to to blame other people for everything that they do but there becomes a point in your life um and for me i was fortunate enough maybe to have it forced by being forced by being forced into this isolation situation um you know, I can't ever take the strength or I can't take credit for having the strength to have gone through what I did mentally. Yeah. Kind of like if you were, you know, say like, oh, yeah, I quit heroin, but I did it because someone locked me in a cave for a year. So you can't really say like it was by your own willpower, but you can say you, you survived it maybe through your willpower and you came out of it on top. So um, I wasn't going to withdraw from anything like that, but I was going to withdraw from humans. I was going to withdraw from addiction to human dramas um and a lot of negative shit and and just my 
ego going in a really, really wrong direction where I was part of that trap that most people are um, caught up in of continuously searching externally to fill this internal void. And so for my process, when I went through that, I cut myself off completely from all culture and all pop culture and all underground culture, everything going on in the world, because I wanted to um, create this movie from a vacuum that was inside of me or just me and what's inside of my um, consciousness. But it also led to me doing a lot of psychological work on myself because I suddenly had to stop and face myself. And when you start facing yourself, all of the things that you don't like about yourself, anything that causes you shame, anything that causes you guilt, anything that gives you feelings of remorse or anything like that, when they come into your mind, you normally um, instinctually push them away because that's the easiest move. You know, you start falling asleep and you think like, oh God, I did something like shitty to somebody once. And like, you're like, I'm not thinking about that. Well, instead I did the opposite and started thinking about it and then stop putting blame on anyone else. Stop saying that I could excuse anybody else for any action I've ever had in my life. And I had to say everything that's wrong in my life, the fact that my entire life has fallen to pieces, the fact that everything around me that's happened, I've brought into my life on my own. And I have a lesson to learn from all of it. So all that we can do is learn how to transmute our mistakes into wisdom so that we can not continue to make these mistakes. That's um, our objectives here, I think, in this realm. So, like, just to take responsibility for your life. Yeah, once you, the first steps, I think, take responsibility. And the well, first step is having awareness. Like, you know what? I'm kind of, like, not very good at this part of life. Then you start thinking, why am I not good at this? You might find the root all the way down to when you were four years old. You know, you might find the root in your parents. You know, then if you start looking into your parents, you realize, okay, well, my parents were just kids too, like we talked about, or my parents didn't know any better and they couldn't teach me. Like I read The the Little Prince during this period, like, you know, that little book and um, the kids book. Uh, not off the top of my head. Um, well, it's like also maybe like look, Le Petit Garçon or Le Petit um, French word for prince. Uh, I don't know. I don't, it's uh, originally a French book, but yeah. I was reading it and I was like, okay, well, this is a brilliant because this guy is kind of circumventing parents and he's um, giving wisdom to children that the parents might not have. And I realized that children, children's books in general do that. Whereas I about that last night, uh, oddly enough, because for some reason I saw Magic School Bus on Netflix and I was like, let me go down this rabbit hole. And I was like, this is actually filled with, like, a lot of good information. Like, yeah. it's teaching you about the sun. It teaches you about the human body. And there's no, there's no, like, there's nothing that's, like, there's no doctored information. There's not really, like, some agenda besides, like, I'm going to teach kids how to learn in a fun way. So, no, I completely agree with you. Like, that's, children's books are great. So, so with the thought of children's books, I understood, like, this man who wrote The Little Prince he had probably had an awareness that a lot of parents don't have that much wisdom to hand down to kids because they haven't gained it yet themselves. And that since he had that wisdom, he had a responsibility to get it, um, get it through if he could. When I started thinking about that, um, that helped me understand and deal with any issues I had with my parents. And then um, that helped kind of, this all, all, just all of the psychological work that you can do on yourself if you start facing things that you don't want to face. And you have to just realize that all of us have 
a room up in our head that's just filled with bricks that aren't going to move unless we start moving them. And we don't want to start moving them because it hurts. Yeah. It, I mean, it's very painful to take responsibility like emotionally, mentally uh, for, for things about yourself that aren't good. Yeah. But it's very easy to look at other people and point out the fact that they suck. So, um, <laughs> I think, um, like something like for me, like I honestly, like I, I went in between jobs. And I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Like I ate like an eighth of mushrooms and like, just like I hadn't dealt with a lot of stuff and like all this stuff kind of like came to me. And I got like, I went like deep down in darkness to the point where it's like, what's the fucking point of living? And then I kind of like addressed that issue and then I looked at all these reasons to live and just was like, man, you just got to love yourself. So I guess like when you're going through that and to properly deal with that stuff psychologically, like how much is like having that love or that positivity just towards yourself? Like how important was that for you or did, was that not even a thing? For um, you? I Probably my biggest issue left to conquer is uh, – not understanding, not having a sense of self-worth at all. And it it's weird because I probably went through a time of being overly egotistical. And then looking back on it, I can see that that was a time where I was at the most lost and most insecure. So that makes the most sense. Like, you know, you're insecure, you compensate for it by, by projecting like complete security. And that's happening all around us all the time. For me, I don't know what it is about um, being able to figure out. To, uh, I don't. I don't know. I just have like this. You know, I can listen to ninety nine good things, and it's the one bad thing that will stick with me. And for some reason, my brain will say that that one bad thing or that one bad, like one little thing that someone wrote that was bad that that's what the truth is and that the other 99 people are wrong. Even if the other 99 people are people like in my field that have the qualifications to actually make a legitimate like um, review. And then I never take into account that that one person could just be a 13 year old kid who just wants attention. Just some cunts on the internet. It's like, man, I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of Chase Lisbon and I just want his attention. So I'm going to tell him his work fucking sucks. <laughs> it's like a thing that like people do to like I know, I mean, I know. I've been to so many comedy shows recently and it's like the weirdos or the guys that don't get it like you don't want to totally fanboy out but then like some people try to get attention like you know what I, I I thought you were you were probably the second funniest comic tonight it's like why would you even like say that to someone like just say thank you for making me laugh like that's all you yeah. have to say or, or thank you for for like expressing yourself in a way that resonated with me and yeah. I think like I think that's what that's what art's really all about. Like I think um I think in general I think you, you can't because uh, art is so subjective. And it's true. I, 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 the the letter the letters that I get that are from people I don't know that say like I don't even know why I'm writing. I don't normally do this, but here's like oh, I'm gonna write you a letter explaining like how this movie touched me or how this movie moved me or whatever. This, that is, I guess that's like, um, been what's helping me get through this because, you know, know, with releasing something that I've been working on for four years that is so directly connected to my own, um, yeah, my own identity and my own 
my own actual soul. Did you write the Did you write the music and everything for the movie? By the way, so like it, because <clears throat> um, the music is a huge part of that movie. And it, the music is almost a character. I mean, because it is like the dialogue and it is um, how how mood mood is told. Yeah. The music process is odd. A lot. What's in, up, is my volume on now? Yeah. No, it was weird. It was like you started talking. And then out of nowhere, like, I just couldn't hear you anymore. So I think you were talking about, uh, what were you the music? Yeah, you were talking about how uh, Wes wanted to <laughs> strangle you. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yes, because I would just, <laughs> well, first of all, if I start talking, I'll talk for, like, two hours. So I would, like, text Wes and say, like, Wes, like, I need, like, a sound, like, immediately. And he would say, like, okay, can you just, like, tell me what it is? And then say, I got I to gotta call you for a minute. And then... I'll call him and um, probably talk to him about whatever insane shit I was on about at the time and then make a bunch of sounds, which I might completely have uh, no ability to... to Like, I, I could sing you a song from my favorite band and it could be your favorite band and you would not be able to recognize it as a song, you know? But I would just tell him the sounds I need kind of or how I needed certain drones or whatever and I would keep trying to explain to him that I was layering it, you know, I was I was making... That I I didn't want flattened tracks. I wanted the beats separate, or I wanted um yeah. each each track separate because I'm I'm weaving them in and out throughout the entire score. So the score is constructed. It's like a reconstruction of everyone's music, and um, some of it is done originally for it. Black Unicorn made some really amazing music for it, and without seeing anything, and um, ended up being a, a large portion of it, and. Um, one of the only things that's like completely or almost completely untouched would be like the Ben Frost parts because Ben Frost is at a level of uh, genius that you just wouldn't mess with at all. And it's not that any of the other people um, that that their songs needed to be elaborated on or, or, or altered. It's just that uh, they needed to be altered for this um, by blending making everything seamless. It's very difficult to make a movie without dialogue, first of all. Yeah. It's, it's not, it you seems a lot easier. Like, I think, like, uh, one of my favorite directors now, that, that Dutch guy that made, like, Only God Forgives and uh, Drive, like, he gets really criticized because he never has dialogue. Nicholas, uh... Is there no dialogue in those movies? It's very limited dialogue. Like, it's all visual. And I, think I didn't... I can tell you this, that, uh... I had contacted the band College when I started doing this movie. So I started doing it, uh, I guess, 2010. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, just December 2010. And um, they were like, that's not something we would be interested in. No one knew who they were, I don't think, at the time. And uh, they said it wasn't, like, the direction they wanted to go in. And I said, that's cool. I completely understand that. And then somewhere during the making of this movie I saw a trailer for Drive and I recognized the music and I was I, I was like I'm not watching this movie and um, I'm mortified that like something that this this music's being used for something and it's something that's so visually dark yeah. to begin with yeah. and so similar to my photographs so I was like I'm never going to watch this movie because uh, it's, I'm it's, terrified it's a good movie man It's uh, but there's not a lot of dialogue like that's like that's like I think people for me, when you go to a movie, I don't like it's film. Like you don't, it's visual. Like audio is a part of it, but I think music is more a part of it, a, a film than dialogue. I mean, like I think the reason why, like 
Christopher Nolan's movies are so good because, like, he has Hans Zimmer that always writes these great scores for him. I mean, like, Inception wouldn't have been Inception if it didn't have its score that went along with it. So I think it's like it's like a missing like people people discredit music in film if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I, um, I guess a lot of times when people are doing when if they're scoring right or like um, editing a certain way that's really editing well, like these are things you aren't even aware are happening. Um, I think in the case of like this movie, like those are two elements that are like pretty. Um, that they that stand out like it's pretty clear like that the music is controlling the frequency that like your your headspace is going into and like ideally like the concept for me was to figure out how to get the brain to a point of being comfortable in an environment and then when it starts to crescendo you you have an idea that um you're entering, you're walking down a hall and you're walking towards a door. You know that you're going to open a door. You know it's going somewhere else. And it can go to such a um, different place. And then it might take a couple of minutes for your brain to even wake up. Wait, how did I end up in the desert when I was just in the snow? Like, um, it's very, I think that was a lot of um, my challenge with making was figuring out how to transcend these um, places without putting the brain into shock unless it's um, purposely doing that which it does at some parts in it where you're in a kind of state of hypnosis and then you get snapped out of it or pulled back into another state and um, figuring out how much I could speak using visuals and using um, just sound there wasn't uh, dialogue so Mostly, I think a lot of it is uh, living in that state, like, you know, um, where Amanda, uh, can you, can you uh, edit that name out? Apnea, who's the, the lead in the movie, when we started making the movie together, you know, we were together and we got engaged in the process of this movie and then we ended up breaking up in the process of this movie and, um, we still work together and we're still business partners and we're still great friends. And there was a period in the middle of that where when I was there alone and all going through all of this like psychological crisis and um, just having full breakdown all around that um, being in the Ozark mountains in an all Baptist town surrounded by people that do not want me there, that, I'm, that did not know me, didn't know where I came from, didn't know what I'd do, locked away in my house and looking the way I do. And um, that did not, uh, I lived in a complete state of fear, anxiety, and, and um, terror, I think, that I wasn't even allowing myself to consciously feel because if I did, I think my psyche... Uh, you know, my consciousness knew that my psyche would just crack, which it eventually, I think, did do. Um, and I, I think to get out of there, I think once I got to the point that I was just like almost not functioning and had reached like a level of, of intrusive thoughts that were self-destructive to the point of um, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I think I had a really good epiphany of um, by realizing that my willpower to stay and fight this fight 
would eventually lead me to my own destruction and that asking for help or ask for it or leaving the situation to go work on it somewhere else was not a sign of defeat, which is what was really keeping me there. It was nothing but this determination to survive this and beat this and win this. And it wasn't at any point of like, I, I have to like bring this to the world. I have to like do this. It was more of a point of, I have to survive this trial that I'm in. And then somehow I learned that part of surviving the trial was learning that it's okay to, change um it's okay to uh have help from other people you know yeah to say like i'm in a position where i'm not fucking doing well like um and maybe if i change my situation it might help a little bit like i shouldn't be so stubborn i guess i had this image one day i was i was there in arkansas just kind of cracking and i pictured you know like making the strongest kettle possible with no vents on it like a giant kettlebell made of iron that's filled with halfway with water and putting it on the most heat you could put it on possible. And the fact that that iron may be the strongest iron known to man, but just by the physics of it, it's going to crack. So I kind of realized that was what was going on in my uh, head and that it was like not a sign of weakness that if my head started to crack, it was just a sign of being alive. So um, I needed to get off the fire. But um, that didn't mean that uh, I needed to stop doing this. And I think probably almost everyone alive uh, gave up any hope that I was going to ever finish this. Yeah. Uh, and then I did. Yeah. And I, to me, that was like what I kept telling myself was like, I need to finish this for the purpose of showing my intent. You know, I don't know. I, I have a lot of mystical views that are probably very uh, foreign to a lot of people, but I do... I don't know how it works, but I do have belief that that your mind can really control your reality. And I do believe that somehow the universe interacts with you consciously. I don't know why. I just know that it's proven to me over and over and over by the synchronicities and, and the strange events. And the amount of times a day that you just say, that's weird. Or, you know, the f- fact that during this conversation, maybe you even would say, um, it's funny you mentioned, like, allegories of children's stories like having importance i was just randomly thinking about that last night school bus man yeah Yeah. but at the same time i I thought about it last night i was like man you know like writing children books like you know that's like a cool thing to do especially if you have a positive message i mean you can then i started thinking about like the the sorry to like get back on it but i just wanted to express my weirdness chase so you maybe don't feel as weird but uh i'm just teasing i don't think you're weird at all Like, uh, like, but then it was the fact that it was a cartoon, and then I thought about, like, man, you know, the cartoon really ruins a lot of the the book itself. Then I thought, man, I wonder how many books are really read to children anymore, and instead how much they're just, hey, let's put this DVD in and let these kids watch this while I do it. It's fucking horrible. Um, You know, um, one of my best friends was an au pair, um, and... I asked her about this because we were in a car and um, I saw the little TV in the back of the car for the children. And I was like, I can't believe that a child today can't even drive from the mall to home without being sedated by a television. Like, um, I don't know. I have a lot of uh, conflict with, or I have a lot of views with how I feel about modern society and and what what it's doing to all of us. Yeah. 
one of my biggest issues is, you know, we were talking about affirmation from external sources. We're, we're old enough at least to have grown up in, I mean, you, you, you probably are at the, the beginning of an internet generation, I guess. I don't know if you graduated got, probably. Uh, I graduated 10 years after you. Um, so I'm like 10 years younger, but no. So like, you're like the beginning of it. Like that's yeah, a MySpace generation. Let's see, 1996, we had AOL dial-up connection with our 28K modem. And I remember when we updated, we went to Best Buy, we got that 56K modem. Get that faster internet speed. But uh, no, definitely, I think uh, the internet in general, it's like it's interesting. Like everybody has... At the, at the palm of their hand, like, the keys to whatever knowledge that they want to seek. Like, they could liter- literally learn anything they want to learn, and instead they just get on MySpace or not anymore, but Facebook and Twitter or and Tumblr and all that shit. Yeah. Pinterest and look at everything that everybody else is doing or Instagram. And it's like, it's, it's like for as much... For as much knowledge and wisdom that you can get out of the Internet, there's just as many distractions... I don't, I don't, I don't know, like, how, um, crude of, a opinion this might be to, to express, but I don't think that the majority of people are used to free thought. Um, yeah. I don't know that if it's because they're not comfortable with it. I don't know if it's just a fear of not fitting in. And so a lot of people are studying, studying everybody for a sense of being everybody. Um, But if you can imagine that if you're 10 years old and you put up a picture and you're wearing like, imagine yourself at 10 and you like got into something weird that other people weren't into. And you're like, I fucking love this. Like maybe it was just like a strange comic book that nobody else, that people would have called you like a fag for liking or something. It's cool. You know? So you got in and imagine if at 10 you had Facebook. So you put up like a picture of you with it. And then like nobody hits like, and someone calls you like a bad name on your comments and then you put up a picture two days later where you're wearing something else, like a different shirt or whatever, and um, everyone's liking it, right? Yeah. You're not aware at 10 years old like that you're being trained by you know affirmation from your peers about what's acceptable and what's not. You you just realize, like, I get a good response when I do this. I get a bad response when I do that. So these are your developmental years. Now, think about as adults, this is affecting us, you know? It's affecting us. We put something up, we put an opinion out, and it gets a huge response. And you're like, oh, you put an opinion out, it gets like no response or only negative responses. You're like, oh, and we're old enough to have developed enough minds to have it affect us less, but it's still probably affecting us on on our level. So imagine what that's doing to an entire world of people growing up. I like. Like, I think, like, it's interesting because you're, you're in the porn industry, but also imagine, like, kids that's parents don't educate them about sex. And then their education about yeah. sex is through pornography, especially with, like, abstinence in school and everything like that. Like, look, I am never going to say we should get rid of pornography at all. Love to beat off to some porn, an advocate of pornography and that freedom. But I think, like, 
I like a, a 13 year old or a 12 year old. I don't think their first encounter with sex should be something from you know Brazzers.com or like porn star punishment. I mean, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, well, I'm not in the porn industry, but um. Well, no, but like you know what I'm saying. Though. I mean, I do work with yeah. in the adult industry in some sense because erotica is, is is one of the um, factions of adult and but I'm in. It's, that's like what I'm saying too. Like, it's not a white or black thing. Like, I have there's times a lot where I'm on the internet and I say this is just really extreme to be, um, you know, for a nine year old mind to come across when they want to Google like something for homework and then they end up watching like really extreme sex, you know, and yeah. it does. Uh, I don't have children, so it's something that I don't. And that I wasn't thinking about a lot, but it does make me, and and it, and sometimes it bothers me to even think that you know, a lot of the girls in this industry are completely worshipped by girls that are only twelve or thirteen now. That, um, so that's why I think this movie it became really important to me to show uh, the darkness of this industry because. I want people to not just associate it with something glamorous. I don't, you know, like yeah. people maybe see all of the, the models in this industry as people that are just living like really amazing lives that they want, with traveling and having everything they want, and um, and everything's great. So and they're associating it. Yeah, they don't see. Obviously, none of us are show. You know, people aren't broadcasting the dark sides of their life. No, it's. Yeah, I think I have um, seen that one, and uh, and it was it was weird. That's where I got into the you know what I was talking about earlier, where I don't want you to anyone to get the impression that I am a person that is um, against my own industry. Yeah, but yeah. I'm also not a person that wants to open the door and say like you should get into this industry. You're, you're a person that wants somebody to see it for what it really. Yeah, exactly. And I'm also a person that who's in conflict and at odds with myself. In yeah. general, yeah, and, I, don't, uh, I don't think I don't think you're trying to say there's. I think what we're trying to say right now is not that we're against something. Like I would never say, like I, I'm not against outlawing anything. I mean, obviously, like I don't think you should rape and murder people or you should harm anybody else. But at the same time, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life either. But I think that anything you know, you need to show, like, like I mean. The problem with our culture, one of the problems with our culture is like what, just like what you said, things are made out to be black and white. So now we have this, this silly dichotomy that goes on. It's like, oh no, it's this way or it's this way. Either for abortion or you're against abortion. Yeah. And you're either for this or you're against this. And it's like, you know, it's, it's not that simple. Like things are way more complex than that. Human beings are more complex than this or that. I mean, so when it comes to like an industry, you know, it's people need to like, the issue is that things shouldn't be romanticized the way they are. Things should actually be shown for what they are in detail versus that. I mean, well, the main issue I would say is that uh, once you have knowledge of something, then it becomes your responsibility to show it for what it is. So if 
the, I romanticized drugs for a long time yeah. because they were because I believed in them. Like I thought it was awesome. I thought it was cool when I was doing drugs, or I thought it was cool when I was running around doing all this crazy shit. And then once I had knowledge that it was not, um, not you know, not a good road to go down, and then I realized, well, fuck. You know, I had a, I was in a position, and I still am in a position where because I'm working with a lot of people that are younger, and a lot of people that are younger that that aren't coming from a place of having anybody um, that's older that can give them any sound advice, and then all the people they meet that are older that are in the industry. Um, they're looking up to them. So I didn't realize like, you know, even just me doing these things around somebody younger, if they are in a position of, um, yeah, yeah. If I, I'm influencing people in a way, in a negative way, when I didn't know any better, that's something I can't, um, hold against myself. Now that I do know better, I realize I have to have, I have some responsibility of applying knowledge that I've gained. I mean, yeah. that's that's just a human responsibility. Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> so I've had uh, Jan Irvin on the podcast. I don't know if... He does this, uh, he's got this website. Is he a Gnostic? Uh, I don't know. I think so. So Jan, like, originally released, like, all, like, most of the audio files of Terrence McKenna's lectures online, Jan Irvin originally released. Like, he released a ton of information. He was a big advocate of psychedelics, doing mushrooms, stuff like that. And then, like, he started digging and he realized that, like, a lot of the psychedelic movement was attached to, um, was attached to, uh, it, uh, what's the scary part of the CIA that was into remote viewing and all that stuff? They're not scary, but it was like the, they were into more mystical shit. Um, that guy who, it's the part of, it was a branch where the guy running it, uh, is, are you talking about the branch that was in charge of trying to do mind control? Yeah, yeah, they're the ones that did like L- MK Ultra. MK Ultra, yeah. So a lot of like the psychedelic revolution was apparently attached to MK Ultra. Uh, like Terrence McKenna was in public relations for either the CIA or the FBI. Like all these guys, like all this stuff came out about it. Like all of this Huxley was a part of it and like all this stuff now. That being said, like, I'm not going to say whether or not they were good or bad or what their intentions were because I don't know because these men are dead and who the fuck really knows. But people, like, wanted to, like, crucify Jan because Jan was just trying to say, look, I know this and I'm trying to let people know. And, like, the way Jan goes about it is kind of abrasive sometimes, but that's just who he is. Like, it's like I, I really like his work. Um, I think sometimes some of the stuff he says is a reach, but I, I think it's similar. Like, he was trying to – like, he had knowledge of something that he used to promote a lot. So now he's yeah. trying to go back. He's just trying to say, look, I know I promoted this, but here's the deal. This is what it really is. You know, you shouldn't just use psychedelics haphazardly, which I totally agree with. Like, I, yeah. the reason why psychedelics helped me was because, like, I was ready for them, and I did it. I wasn't just trying to get fucked up. Like, I really wanted some answers. And I think – um so I, I think like yeah, there's 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 definitely a sense of a responsibility. There's definitely like a sense of to anything like just like anybody that would get involved in sales. Like I would make sure they knew exactly. Like I was in I was in another grimy sales industry. I was in multi level marketing too, Chase. So whenever somebody tells me or tries to approach me about getting into multi level marketing, I can immediately tell if they're new, and then I'll I'll take a good thirty minutes out and talk to them about 
everything that I did, how, yeah, you can make money, but look, you have to understand, this is going to become a part, a huge part of your identity. If you don't want this to be your identity, this isn't something you necessarily want to do. So you realize you had a responsibility to inform the person that, hey, I used to be in a situation where I'm, and I had the same thoughts you did, and some stuff you might want to know about, some information you need to know Correct. about whether or not you're going to carry down this path. Correct. And it's like, look, read books, like, definitely want more and definitely listen, but, you know. Well, I think, um, like, you know, you called the movie Psychedelic, which a lot of people do, and um, I can tell you that there's absolutely no way that that movie, especially as you get further into it when things change, um, there is no way that that movie could have been edited in any way on any drugs. Um, <laughs> it would... It, 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 it would it but just would take out some clarity to it's like edited. It's no, like, it is a psychedelic kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean like. I mean, look, like I would never expect to be any, do anything functional on drugs or alcohol for sure. Well, listen to like Pink Floyd, right? And like I, everybody really loves like, um, or like people get really like, uh, you know, there's obviously a line that's drawn between two different Pink Floyds or even three. Yeah. But um, early Pink Floyd, like, I can't listen to it. People love it. The psychedelic um, stuff with uh, um, Sid Barrett. Yeah, Sid Barrett. They were a lot more like the Who. Like, yeah, I, I couldn't. Li- I can't listen to Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd, and it just sound like kind of a mess to me. And um, I like it, David Gilmour. And I can listen to that. Yeah, the later, the the middle Pink Floyd era, and um, and say this is like. I don't think that they would be able to literally make this entire album on heavy drugs. Like, it takes a lot of work. And a lot, but I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But I don't think... They were influenced. I mean, I'm sure they were influenced. Well, that's what I think I, how it works. Like, yeah. you would say they open these doors by doing psychedelics that... There's no doubt about it. Psychedelic drugs open doors. They open chambers in your mind. They open doors that go into places that might be... Um, knowledge that you've carried on through your bloodline or your lineage or carried on through your soul because they open doors to places that 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 all people yeah. connect to that that we didn't know were there and then that makes you ask questions that you later have to go into finding the answer to but through clarity and in yeah. and, uh, and a better route so for me like the a little bit the small amounts of um psychedelic drugs I've done compared to other people or compared to what people would probably think I've done um, have opened. They were enough to tell me, like, "Hey, here's some information that's not going to make a lot of sense to you, but you're going to spend maybe uh, the rest of your life piecing together." And then, as I've been seeking, I have been getting those answers to what was being told to me. You know, starting at 18, and it was like, "Holy shit!" Like, because uh, I read Ram Dass's book, "Be Here Now," maybe when I was um, 30 years old, maybe right around 30. I, when I, first time I smoked weed, I tripped really hard, and um, nobody believed me. Everybody said that it had to have been laced. And I was like, I was with ten other people. Nobody else had that effect, um, or it didn't have that effect on anyone else. So once I read Ram Dass's book, I what, I got into smoking weed pretty heavily around twenty eight, and then by thirty, um, I read that book, and I was like, wow. All of this shit, these are all things I've seen. These are all, like, things I've come to, under, like, not understand, but to know with a, with a small K. To have this knowledge just, like, you know, didn't know what to make of it, but knew that I'd seen these things. So then I went and researched, like, marijuana a little bit and found out that it worked as an hallucinogenic um, drug for a small amount of people. 
like a very small percentage have hallucinogenic. Uh, if, you, if you eat it, I mean, you're definitely going to. If you eat marijuana, I mean, there's, there's definitely like there's an enzyme in your stomach that's definitely going to help. Well, well, I have, uh, yeah, I've had, so I've had the, these head trips just from smoking it and yeah. where things where I'd seen these things that I later saw or, or read about in Ram Dass' book. And I was like, I can't believe he's having these from LSD that, and I was having it from weed. And um, it, I think it's like maybe like 5% of people that like have that reaction to it. So then I later did psychedelics, you know, to LSD and mushrooms and um on, on multiple occasions and had multiple results. But um, I think I think they're cool as a gateway to for people if people are inclined to be seekers or to search for knowledge at all. They're, it's cool to give you an opening and let you know it's there. I think that's what it did with Ram Das. I think he kind of like ended up in uh, India or wherever he ended up that he had this awakening that or this realization that people were getting to these places without drugs yeah. and that these, there were paths that were a lot um, more constructive. They can get you to these places and to this knowledge. Yeah. And then he brought that back to the hippie movement and was like, Hey guys, like, you know, it's been fun doing this shit, but guess what? There's something bigger that's going on. And these guys in the East know about it and we can start going there without drugs and um, having a, awakening time and understandings through different practices. So uh, I don't know why we're even how we got on talking about that was, it. Uh, that was, we were talking, <laughs> I, I know why. I know why. It was because you said something about having a responsibility with knowledge, and then it made me. Yeah, um, and I think Rob Doss came back the same way with that. I think he came back with like, now I have a responsibility to let people know that. that I th- yeah, I, th- I think that's why he made the transformation from addicted Yeah. And I like I like Ron Doss a lot. Like I've uh, actually my uh, let you know about my background. My grandmother actually pointed me in the direction of Ron Doss. So um, I know pretty fascinating. <laughs> pretty fascinating. That's a whole other whole other conversation. But uh, I started. Um, I watched uh, Fearing Grace. Um, I saw him in this other movie because I watched like What the Bleep Do We Know before. Yeah. Like this is like kind of this is before psychedelics. I was just smoking weed and I, I got really into the secret. And because it was just like I was looking for a change in my life. I was like, well, worst case scenario, this doesn't work. Best case scenario, this does work. And I think like the positivity helped. But I think like the secret is kind of unrealistic with. I get what it's trying to say, but I don't think it's. it's If if, if I'm allowed to talk about it at all, I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, you can talk about it. I, um, I always have kind of side studies that are completely unrelated to. Like I work. In this industry, I don't follow this industry. I don't um, have books from this industry. My books are from completely different worlds. Uh, my side studies have always been completely separate. I spent a lot of years as studying economics, which makes no sense because I have absolutely no money. And uh, But I really became fascinated with economics, which is really weird because that's like a subject that everybody wants to avoid completely. But, um, and my path to that was just kind of a strange road. And, and it actually did end up helping fund a lot of this movie because I had had a dream about, uh, gold, yellow gold, which I didn't like at the time. I had a second dream about it. And then I was like, I should look into it. I found out there was a market for precious metals. And 
right when I started studying this was around 2003. So this is right when the price of gold and silver start rising. I started investing in gold and silver. I didn't, I had never invested before. My parents didn't go to college, didn't graduate high school, didn't really know what to do with money and didn't have any knowledge of it. And I didn't either. And, um, so luckily it did pay off to get interested in economics, but that led me into understanding in a greater sense how things were working on a government level with a lot of other things. Yeah. That opened up doors for me. And, um, so, but now, uh, for the past two years, I've been studying mostly like the mystery orders and, um, esoterica in general. And as I started to study that, I, I, I can't understand why you would mention the secret right now, because that's what I was thinking about in the shower today. I haven't thought of the secret in a really long time. And, uh, I was in the shower and the secret popped into my head, that little seal, you know, yeah. and I was remembering for the first time, cause I haven't revisited this, the secret since it came out and since I got into esoterica and I was, um, re- I was picturing that like while I'm showering, I was picturing that image of like, and I was like, did it say like Benjamin Franklin knew this and so-and-so knew this and so-and-so knew this. Everybody knew it. Yeah. And then I realized, okay, what the secret did was it, you know, repackaged like, um, occult knowledge of of the the ability to manifest things in your life. And I mean, it's like, I don't know if you ever read the science. No, I haven't uh, read that. Um, It's like a, it's a short book. You can get it for free, but it's like, it's, it's all about like uh, affirmations, like affirmations for yourself. Like there's a substance that permeates, penetrates, man, I used to know it all by heart. Um, But it's all about like, it's, it's like the whole mind that your subconscious mind is the same thing as dirt. Whatever you plant in there, that's what's going to grow and sure. in your life. And I uh, think a lot of that shit is true. Like there's a lot of stuff that like we don't, we can't measure. But all I know is that the people who are successful are people that, that, that avoid being, that aren't ruled by the market, if that makes sense. Like you yeah. were saying something about economics. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, you don't want to. You don't want your life to be dictated by the market. You want to dictate the market with your life. That sort of thing. If that makes sense. Sure, but the question is like you know if you use the word success, like the the question becomes what your perspective is on what success is. Oh, yeah. Because to me, success is would be happiness and yeah. peace. Well, for um, me, like my idea of success is to not have a slave job anymore. Like that's like like for me is to like be able to live off of my own creativity, which I think is like, so like in my mind, like you're very successful because that's what, that's what you do. It might not be the most comfortable living, but you're dictating your, your own, you're dictating your own, if that makes sense. Like that. Yeah. And I also am fortunate enough that I, I've gotten to a place where I realized that I didn't, that I didn't need a lot of things. Um, I kind of realized that as I like, at, at the most like financially successful periods and the most uh, materially, uh, materially, materially, <laughs> materially successful periods, or the most successful periods, um, if you're going to value them on a materialistic level, everything that I had during those periods, conquest, right? Those periods of, of like, you know, and, and, and you're in a bit of a conquest right now. And during those conquests, as I obtained things, all I could focus on was what I didn't have. And 
And once everything, as cliche as it is, you know, like once everything was ripped from me and taken from me or I lost everything and it crumbled, then I realized I was never grateful for anything that I fucking had. You know, I was too focused on what was ahead of me. You know, I think you'll see that theme in the movie of the concept of losing everything you have because of not realizing that that the true gold of life might be something that you have right now, which might be health. Your friends, loved ones, people yeah, that care. I think the true golden life is your relationships. I think like doing this podcast and like being able to meet people like yourself just through, I mean, just from people enjoying the podcast. Like I think like that's that's real gold there. Like, well, that's a, don't ever forget that right now at this exact moment, you're living your dream and you're in the middle of it and you've manifested it and you've got there. And you, even though you're not at the place where this is what you're doing full time, or maybe you're not at the place where you can picture that you want to end up going, you're still doing it. You're doing exactly what you wanted to do. And you sat there through these shitty jobs and you said, you spent a lot of time, I'm sure with your brain scheming and thinking and coming up with a way out, which is how I got out of it. And you know, I, I didn't go to college. I spent, all of my time just delivering pizzas, washing dishes, and scheming. And while I was delivering pizzas, I was listening to audio books. I was listening to lectures. I was listening to anything I could just to get my head in a place out of where I was and towards a um, better place. So I understand that. Like, like, person- like that was something I did learn from network marketing, man, was was that there. Like I didn't listen to books. I didn't like – I wasn't trying to better myself through those means like i didn't realize the power of reading a book like because i i hated reading books because of everything that was forced to me through school and i was i tell you what chase i was like i listened and i followed that bullshit message of let's go to school you know you're gonna get a good job when you go and get that education and i just remember like thinking like what the fuck have i been doing the past four years of my life like i don't like any of these jobs i don't like my friends i don't like a lot of things and and I'm grateful that I went through that because of like it, it it's made me who I am today. Yeah. But but I think like that's really important what you said though. Like I think like trying to I think wanting to better yourself though is is the key to like is the key to growth in life in general. Like it's like if you're not growing, you're dying. You know what I mean? Like in, in a sense, like it's like yeah, you you have to grow. Um, it, and it's your responsibility even as a human to yourself to keep growing while you're here. I mean, participate in this realm and learn from it to grow. But um, I, I only just said, just to get a, a feel of like where you were at, what, with what, um, you know, you were aspiring for in life. It makes sense to, um, and I think definitely, you know, what you want is a per- perfectly legitimate goal of saying, I want to be independently able to live. Yeah. By doing something I feel good about. Yeah. And I think that should be everybody's goals. Some people feel really good just, you know, like I, I lived with a guy once and uh, I had this epiphany, you know, I was like, you know, I realize now what's going on with you is that you went to college and you study literature and you have a lot of pressure from your father to become um, something, you know, quote, quote unquote, something. Yeah. And, and you're a waiter. And, but I've been living with you for a year and I know a couple of things. I know that you love being a waiter and you love your job. You make enough money that you go on a great vacation every year. You go travel somewhere for two weeks 
and you live a life that you're happy with. You seem happy. You're always happy. And maybe your biggest conflict in life is the fact that your dad has a problem with your job and thinks you should be, quote, unquote, doing something. So maybe some people, like, their job does not have to have anything to do with their life outside of their job as something that enables them to have the life they want. Um, others of us uh, have been in situations where our entire life has become our job, and if we don't like that job, then we don't like our lives. And yeah. and it's not really much you can do beyond it because the job is taking up so much of your fucking life. So I think people I think, should... Uh, I think, too, it's like being my own master. That makes sense. Sure. Like, I think, like, money's been a master for me approval from others women you know what i mean like everything yeah. and it's and it's just like realizing like and and there's still things that like i mean like i'm terrified of falling like with like and it's like man that's something in my life that i'm gonna have to conquest like that's something in my life i'm gonna have to overcome even though it's so simple from doing that but it's wait cut out. what are you terrified of falling falling it's, yeah like if i climb a ladder you're physically scared of falling? Oh, like, dude, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Well, you know, also, there's this, another way of looking at it that you have, you know, so you have two choices. You figure out how to overcome your fear of falling, or you figure out how to just not uh, go near things that you're going to fall off of <laughs> if you don't have to, you know? Like, I have such bad social anxiety, right? So yeah. I just came to a realization at some point, like, I just don't need to go to bars anymore. Like, yeah. if, and if people are putting social pressure on me to go to, to the situations, I just have to take control of myself, my life, and just say, no, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going. I'm sorry. It's nothing against you, but the things that bring you pleasure bring me pain. So I have to avoid that. Um, and, you know, I was just reading last night, like, that Stanley Kubrick wouldn't, uh, fly in a plane at all anymore after, and it, started because I guess he went to get his pilot license. I don't know what went wrong between trying to get his pilot license and then ended up with him refusing to fly ever again. Stanley, but He's a fascinating man. I just went down a Stanley Kubrick rabbit hole myself, man. I watched I watched a lot of his old movies and I watched uh, I'm sorry to like just diverge but I think our minds work similarly, Chase. Yeah. We were on like I watched uh, it's all started with Room 237, that documentary. Yeah. And then when I went and I watched uh, the documentaries that one guy made about Stanley Kubrick filming the moon landing, those are pretty interesting. And then I Which, watched, which is the second time this has come up for me today. Really? I'll yeah. send you. I got the documentaries. They're in my I, saw, I saw the fake one. Um, I know that – I know this is like on, on a 19th tangent off, but um, I wanted to ask you earlier when you were mentioning things. Um, I'm obviously more paranoid than you are about – talking about certain things but um i i want just your just from your opinion since you probably spend are you obviously spend a lot of time um going down the same roads i go down and studying some of the same stuff i study have you do you feel that there's um intentional debunking and misinformation that's given out and thrown in in, in an effort to mix all 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 of the like, let's say you come across some information and you do some research on it and you say, like, okay, this is obviously, like, not real. This has obviously been orchestrated. 
And then you'll realize, like, there's a lot of really credible people that are saying this is an orchestrated event that happened, and this is why. And there's no way that it could have happened the way that the media is telling you it happened. And then the media is always like, oh, so if you believe this, like, you also believe in Bigfoot, you also believe in the Mothman, and you also believe, like, that there's the moon's made out of cheese. And it's like that, that's not a, that's not a fair like lumping together. Yeah, it's not a logical approach to lump and things together. Every time if you go watch one of these documentaries or something, let's say let's make up an event because I I don't want to talk about anything real, but let's say that in the, in the year two thousand seven, um, a gigantic shoe fell from the sky and killed a town. And let's say you go and you watch like 20 hours of documentaries about it and you realize that there's just no possible way that a gigantic shoe was thrown by China into the air and fell on the ground like we were told and just killed this town. And you start to realize maybe this town wasn't even there to begin with. And um, and like there's like six million people that are like literally saying like every bit of evidence that this shoe did not fall on this town the way it was said it was. That, you know, there's photos of the shoe being built and uh, put there. And then, but if you go on YouTube, you'll find someone every single time who's at the top of the comments that's like, you asshole, my dad was killed by that shoe. And I think, like, well, why are you now, like, you know, 10 years later or whatever, just happened to be here on YouTube watching a video about it, like, yeah, telling us your dad died from the shoe. And it's like, it's such a... Yeah, it's, but I, it's kind of a mind fuck, man. I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, and so yes and no. So I think that crazy people get like attracted to the same rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, we're, we're border, we're, we're divergence of society. We yeah. don't, we don't really give a shit about what other people think. But we just want to do our own thing, and we want to do it well, and it's important for us. So, like, it's it's different. But we're not – we're crazy in our own right, but we're not, like, unbalanced. But then you see, like, guys like David Icke who will say really credible things like, yeah, the banks are evil, this, this, and that. And then he's like, and guess what? Everybody's a giant lizard. <laughs> well – And it's like, it's like, well, that can't be real. Like, there's no way people are lizard people. The reason I think this works um, – I think it, I see it working in spirituality the same way where what people do is, and I see it happening on the internet with a lot of people that are very credible on the other side of the media, credible as being people that are um, exposing things, right? Yeah. If they expose, if 50% of what they tell you is real and is mind blowing and it wakes somebody up and the person says, what? Um, I mean, I think that something I can talk about is how we got into Vietnam. I think that that's declassified now. That's normal information. Anybody can learn about that and learn about what the government was capable of doing. What's even that, greater is Jim Morrison's dad is the guy that actually planned it. Really? The, yeah, the day that he retired from the Army or from the Navy, whatever he was in, is the same day that Jim Morrison died. So there's a lot of conspiracies going beyond the doors, especially with the whole psychedelic movement thing being attached to MK Ultra. So I don't really know. Yeah. But I think well, it's interesting. Like I think I think coincidences are interesting to pay attention to. But I, I, I can't make a conclusion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's usually my approach is like, well, this is interesting, but I don't really know. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, but um, I did. But so I agree with you definitely. But I don't want to lose this point because I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll lose uh, I, I lose thought uh, track of thought so easily. But um, so if a person opens the door and gives you fifty percent of the truth, and it's a truth that you've never had before, and you become completely aware of it now. Um, there's a real danger that that person now has the ability to feed you another 50% full of lies that you will believe because you've been told so much truth that, you know, like, and that's like maybe what I was saying with something like the secret where they're using something that is a, you know, we're talking about things that people might go through their entire life being initiates and in, in orders to come to understandings of how things work. And then you have something like the secret that just kind of puts it in a thumbnail. And then just basically like, I think the whole agenda of the secret was just to get Money. your seven, seven dollars. Yeah. yeah like, and, and I think that's like the agenda for most people, man. I think that's like, there's a, they say it's a viable market. Like even like Alex Jones, like I'm pretty sure seventy percent of what Alex Jones says is the truth. But then it's like, well, I can't talk about it, but I can tell you that that what I was just talking about is falling into that category. I mean, if you tell people things that they didn't know and it blows their minds, it leaves you open with a platform to tell them things that aren't true. And I don't know what people's agendas are, yeah. but. It scares me the direction that the country is going in because I see that it seems to be already a, a, a mental civil war going on. And for some reason, people seem to be um, really interested in, in that happening. And yeah, I mean, even that look, at the, me. look at the Super Bowl. I mean, like I paid very close attention to the commercials, not because. I wanted to be entertained, but mainly, like, that's the largest platform for propaganda. In yeah, the sure. It's the Super Bowl. And, I mean, they still really want us to buy cars. Um, they want us to know that biracial families eat breakfast. And sometimes that's true. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's... Yeah. But, but also, like, the internet. Like, uh, Squarespace. Like, Squarepa- Squarespace had a commercial on the internet. And Squarespace is, like... Super easy. So, I mean, there's definitely, like, I really do think that there is this duality of good and evil in, like, in, I guess, in the the current zeitgeist of our world, if that makes sense. Like, the, like, there really is, like, this, this good and evil, like, and I, I think it's, like, a lot of well, how could there not be when there's, when there's such an obvious example of it in you as a, um, and, and, and I and in all people, yeah. uh, this realm is a realm of duality. I mean, yeah. and, uh, and I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think, um, I definitely, I mean, like I started studying the, the trivium method, which is like a really good, like critical thinking tool. So it's like, you know, you, it's like your input processing and output. So grammar, uh, logic and rhetoric. And, and like, since I've been doing that, like it's, it's like important to, it's like a filter to filter into information through. So, yeah, I, I, like, back to, like, the moon landing stuff. Like, I, I listened to some interviews with the guys that, like, I mean, like, there's some pretty, like, crazy Stanley Kubrick referencing Apollo 11 in his, in, in The Shining. I mean, that's very obvious. Like, I mean, the, the, the hotel guy's name is Nolman, and he looks just like JFK, and he's dressed like the president. 
and all this weird stuff. But Stanley Kubrick was an interesting guy. And, and then you watch, like, a movie like... Stanley Kubrick is a genius. I mean, yeah, he's um, a genius for sure. I mean, a lot of stuff in that room... The, I, I, I'm not... Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff I thought in the documentary was were stretches. And a lot of it were not... Um, I don't think. And I think there was, I, I, it was really odd for me to watch that documentary and it opened up some, some things that they didn't ever address and yeah. that I thought maybe should have been addressed a little bit stronger. Um, I don't know how much they addressed like the possibility of, but I shouldn't get in. All right. We are back. We are just talking about Chase's work ethic and how, um, Basically, I'm a shitty host because I don't want to. I'm just teasing. He doesn't really care, but I watched most of it too. And like, I didn't watch most of it. I watched it through the first song, and then it started up the new song. I'm like, okay, this shit's changed, and all right, I got to get back to this. And then like, I just didn't get it. It was just like, I think it's interesting that you watch half of it, and I don't think I think that it um that'll give me an excuse to come back and talk to you again anyway. So, um, yeah, that was my real reason. I'm like, you know what? This guy, yeah, you, uh, you did this on purpose. It was just 20, 22,000 Twitter followers. I'm going to, I'm going to trick him into doing the show twice. Get so listeners. That works out for me. We can go with that. And, uh, yeah. And, well, I didn't realize it, we'd recorded so long either, man. I mean, we just went down so many different rabbit holes and it was fun. I can tell you something that, um, I don't know how much of like how, how open your brain is to, you know, uh, like um, different things that are going on and different possibilities. But I don't believe that all people transcend time the same way. I don't know how it works, and I don't know what happens. But um, you obviously realize as you age that time becomes relative to the amount of years that you've lived and the amount of years you have left, and that that increases you get an increased feeling of um, time going by. But on a daily basis, like in situations like this, if you ask me how long we've been talking, I wouldn't be able to tell you if it was 15 minutes, five minutes. And if you told me we were talking for six hours, I wouldn't be shocked either because um, I don't know that I, I don't know that everyone transcends time the same way. And I don't think that uh, I think maybe that comes through in the movie too. Uh, Maybe Maybe that's why a lot of stuff that seems very sane to me and normal to me might seem just a little bit too much for other people. But um, I guess watching the movie is the closest you can get to understanding how I see things. If you had any interest in that, to be honest, like I would, I would be much happier if, if people, if somebody listening to this was able to go out and say, "I am inspired by listening to the two people talk." to just get off the couch or get going in life with whatever my dream is, you know, whether it's fucking making sculptures out of mashed potatoes or whatever it is that you want to do in life, if you were inspired to do it and just listening to us talk and it took me making a movie, meeting Drew, coming together and having us talk about it for you to go out and make a change in the world that somehow becomes positive for you, then that would be, um, that would make me as happy as somebody buying a fucking movie from me. Like, so, um, that would be great. So, why don't you do that, whoever you are listening right now? <laughs> well, okay, well, let's, uh, since we're closing up, people can follow you. So, number one, go to supercult.com. Become a subscriber. Become a member, right? That helps. Uh, 
So you're still going to do supercult.com or right? Yeah. The problem is like, for you know, a couple of years I've, I've been so focused on the movie that, um, and I'm just now, I have a, I have a backlog of probably six years of work to, of shoots to edit. Um, I have to immediately edit a shoot of Mosh to put up there because she has been definitely asking for it. And, um, it's definitely owed it. And then get, I'll get back to that. And, um, at least be doing it for the rest of this year. Um, I don't know if I, if I could, I think ultimately I would, I would probably want this movie to be my thesis on this industry and probably want to figure out maybe a different direction to go afterwards. I, I'm at a lot of conflict with that. And, uh, if not, I at least want to be able to remain in my job doing it mindfully, whereas I wasn't always doing that. And, you know, I, I always quit one song because I had come to a certain type of awakening or uh, an experience that some people go through. And I was talking to a really good friend of mine at the time who was an incredibly intelligent person. He said, it doesn't matter if I'm in a dark industry or not. If I leave this industry and go anywhere, I'm going to find the same darkness because it's going to be at Disney. It's going to be at everything, at every job, at every, in every avenue because it's in man and it's in society. And, um, hello. Okay. There we go. You were talking about, it was really good. You were talking about how the darkness of man. Here, let me kill my video. Is this? Yeah, let me see. Uh, let me, let me call you right back and we'll, we'll close this up. Hold on. Hello? Chase. Yeah, is that better? Yeah, it's it's better. Um, all right, so as you were saying, so the, the darkness is going to be everywhere you go. Yeah, and so um, as a result, I think my conclusion right now, and, and it's always weird doing interviews or talking about anything because, to be fair, like, you know, if, you're, if you keep evolving, you're going to keep looking back at things you said and, and realize, you know, you maybe didn't have as well-formed of an um, opinion at the time that, to be speaking about it as you should have. But I do think, like, I, I got into that place where, you know, I did enough research and, and discovery about the world to realize how fucked up it was. And, and that led me into a place of sort of, um, you know, you end up in a place of feeling helpless to to so much shit going on and then I started to understand that my only um, the only way I could help things was to work on myself and to become as um, good of a person as I'm capable of being um, and by doing that that somehow helps the world because you help people around you as you come in touch with them and people do learn from that. You know, like if if you're in a situation where 19 people think it's acceptable to be a, a bully or be um, a certain type of, of a negative person, then the 20th person is more likely to fall into that example. But if 19 people were like just completely shunning um, unmindful behavior, then the 20th person would be more inclined to follow that lead. Does that make sense? I don't know how this relates at all to anything. Uh, it was, I think it was I, good. I liked it. I liked it. It was, it was about the history <laughs> was super cult. So also, people, oh yeah, yeah. Do you get um? What do you use more? Do you use so if people wanted to contact you or shout out to you or tell you that they appreciate you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Like on Facebook, is it Twitter? So you got. I, I would just suggest they just show up at my front door and knock on it. I'm just. I'm totally kidding. I would. I'm so paranoid that like I. I usually don't even tell people what city I'm living in when I'm there. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know. Some, you know what? Sometimes it's just good to make yourself laugh. 
Um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was funny, man. <laughs> Let me recover I from like that. I was thinking, like, that's, a, that's the last thing I want. Sample <laughs> listener murders Chase Lisbon after inviting them to his house on a podcast. Uh, um, I, I think uh, I'm on Facebook and... Uh, You're on the Twitters, too. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, and um, I can be found easily uh, on the internet. And so... I can be written through Facebook and Twitter. Um, I, I pay more attention. I, I fuck, honestly, I fucking hate Facebook. Um, but I have to be on it. And we all kind of do as, as this for business. And Twitter, um, I comment, I go through waves of seeing it and using it. Um, you got a lot of followers, dude. You got like 22,000 followers. Like, not I, I, but I just think it's crazy. I was around when Twitter first came out, and to, to be honest, like um, something that changed my life was I found out a friend of when we were together. A friend um, was was doing Second Life for a living or making extra money off of it, right? What's Second Life? It, Is that a? It's like a, like I guess like something like along the lines of World of Warcraft or something, but uh, with cool. a different agenda. It, except it's more like Sims, I guess, and. Okay. So I immediately, my first thought, because I kind of scheme a lot in my head, and I was like, ooh, I should learn how to do that and make money. And then I thought about it, and I was like, no, wait a minute. I should figure out my first life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I really, at that point, I made a conscious decision to get into, like, putting myself out there, which for a long time, I think I was holding myself back. I was doing the opposite, you know, out of, out of fear or out of not feeling like I deserved it or whatever reason. And I did... I just happened to get really into marketing around exactly when Twitter came out. So I was very heavily active back then. And I was uh, I was writing for Nerve.com at the time, and I didn't even realize that Nerve was such a huge site then. And a Nerve, event, Nerve got bought out by The Onion, and they cut out the um, the um all the erotic uh, photographers at the time. And um, so I think that really helped with getting a lot of um, attention. But I would then like I said, went into a cave basically for, you know, the last few years where I have only just been focusing on myself in this movie. So Good um, now I'm coming back to this world and I have to like be involved in social media and I have to be involved in all these things. And it's, it's kind of uh, grinding because I don't necessarily want to know what everybody is thinking every second of the day or eating, or I don't want to know that John is at the bus stop and hates it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree, man. I, you know, I don't even look at my timeline or my Facebook feed or any of that shit. Sometimes I will for photos because I like the photos on Facebook, and then I'll, then I'll like and I'll share them if I like them. But uh, man, I don't get like I'm on like people like Twitter's just too much, dude. There's too much going on. I try to just post my shit. If somebody tells me to repost their shit for them, I'll do it for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do those two things, and then I try and when I'm on that, for that minute I'm on, I try and interact with people um, because I don't want to just feel like a dick that's just using people completely. Yeah. <laughs> but um, social media, that's what it is. The system of people, for most part, people like just putting shit up and wanting um, feedback on it. And You want validation. You want comments. Yeah. Shared. Yeah, we do. And honestly, like I think, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's many people that are putting things up and then don't get addicted to checking back feedback for the next two hours. Oh yeah. 
Oh, for sure. It's it's just like this podcast and like downloads. Um, Drew, I'm guilty of almost all the things that I am that I don't like about the world. Oh, you know, me too. I think everyone is. I think you learn through yourself as to why you don't like it. I think that's that's what makes you. That's what makes us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, if people want to see your movie, uh, I was looking on Facebook about it. And said we're going to have a release for the release. That's pretty funny. It was on one of your pictures because I was like looking for a photo to attach to the podcast. Um, is there? A it actually, I wasn't even a joke at the time because um, we were planning something with with a magazine at the time, and uh, we were just going to release the release date at one time. But um, we we don't know the release date right now because um, we're we have a. a What's that? Are you gonna like put it on Amazon and iTunes and stuff like that? I don't know. I to be honest, like um, I didn't think anything past finishing it, and um, now that it's finished, um, I have I, I want to go around and do some gallery shows and and loop it. Um, I think the best arena for it is in galleries, and I want to show prints in one room and show the movie in another, and people can come in and out and watch it. That's and awesome. um, yeah, because if once you watch the entire thing, see, there's no, there's no, there's no arena for it that makes that that makes sense because I've built I've built something that stands um stands in its own world a little bit, and so maybe the artwork, maybe galleries is uh, what makes the most sense. But um, the point is, I don't have I, it'll either be at the, towards the end of February or in March um, that it will be available again to the public. Well, I'll tell you what, we could always, uh, when it becomes available, you're... And yeah. At that time, I would have actually watched the whole movie. I say we should do that, I think, um, right before we really, really... Or maybe, like, a, in time that you could get it edited for me to um, be um, pushing it um, no. along with the piece. Yeah, I can edit this stuff really fast. Okay, like, you know, my, my, like... Um, well, let's go. I'll come back on um, when we have a date, and that'll be fun. Okay, cool. I like talking to you. I would say, you know, feel free to keep in touch with me and, and text me whenever you want, or talk about whatever you want, or ask me anything you want. Because I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I appreciate that man. a lot. And uh, you know, I didn't feel like if I lived next to you that I would come over and hang out with you a lot and talk <laughs> about shit. I, so. Absolutely, dude. It's uh, it was fun. I'm glad EDBs hooked us up. Well, anyways, brother, thanks for doing the the podcast, man. I'm glad we could.
Oh, oh, oh. 